Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, May 23rd, 2022. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going this week? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So I told you before we you know, pressed record here that this is the 150th episode of Wiretaps, and it's actually, I think it's going to be our 233rd overall you know, podcast show. But um, yeah, and we've profiled as I, you know, you, you kind of <laughs> made fun of me last week for my math skills, but we've done like over 450 candidates uh, that we've kind of profiled on the, on the Wiretaps episodes. And you're not going to believe this, but the podcast uh, over this time period has had more than a quarter million, quarter of a million uh, downloads or listens, right? So, um, so people are listening to this stuff, and I, I did a little bit of digging. I thought you'd be curious to know of our wiretaps episodes, like which ones are the most popular. <laughs> and so, uh, I you know went went back into the data and found that for one reason or another, the episode that um, has generated the most listens is the 72nd episode of the podcast overall. Uh, And it's a wiretaps episode that uh, features an older applicant, uh, a candidate with a low GPA, but a high GMAT, and then someone struggling to choose between a couple of schools. So um, that's literally the title of it. So if you're going back, just look for episode 72. Uh, I'm not sure what it is about that episode that's done so well. Uh, I would say longevity because it's a little bit of an older episode, but the second most popular episode is number 49, one of the very early Wiretaps episodes where we talked about, again, someone in brand marketing, as well as another person with a low GPA, and then an enlisted military candidate. Nice. So that was number two. Yeah. And then, and then the third one, in terms of our most popular, is a much more recent one, and that's episode 147, and it's just called Wiretaps, Is It Crazy to Turn Down HBS? So to me, that's like a clear case where the title maybe grabbed a lot of people's attention. I'm not sure, but that one did well. So um, it's, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, that was episode 147. Yeah, okay. the overall But not, count, not yeah. three episodes ago, because we numbered them in sequence with all the... All podcasts, yeah. All the podcasts. Exactly. So it's still a little ways back, um, but it was, the, I remember that episode, uh, and I yeah. can't remember, I don't remember what school the person was going to go to, but I, I can't remember. Well, anyway, I, I do remember this whole... That, that that title and <laughs> and you have a lot of empathy for that person, Graham. Yes, um, although a lot of people would say I'm just crazy. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, turning down HBS. Uh, the other thing I thought was just fun to look at is it seems like most people listen on Apple Podcasts. Although there's a sizable chunk of people who just listen on the internet, so they go to our website, I guess, pull up the episode page and listen there. And then we have this growing group of Spotify listeners who I want to give a shout out to because they they are this kind of growing uh, crowd. I'm hoping that Spotify will allow reviews at some point. Uh, and not just ratings, but so yeah, so that's how people are listening. And then the last little data point that I looked at was where are people? And by a wide margin, the U.S. kind of takes the prize here with 68% of our listeners. Wow. Um, after that, it's really like a smattering, like no other country seems to have more than like four or 5%. And those popular countries are India, Canada, the U.K., Australia, Japan, Brazil, Taiwan, uh, Ghana, Singapore, Germany, South Korea, France, Nigeria, Spain, Russia, and Thailand. I don't know if that's 20 countries. I can't remember how many I picked out there. But that, anyway, so uh, big hello to everyone listening in those markets. Um, you guys make up the, the biggest markets that folks listen in. But it's just interesting to see the kind of global nature of this, although there's that U.S. dominance. <laughs> I have a couple of questions for you, Graham, yeah. now that you've, you've, you, you've delved into the data. Um, 
Well, actually, what what an observation first. One is I I do think there's a lot of value in in listening to some of these old um, wiretaps because they're tight. Ty- they are essentially timeless, right? So so we're reviewing candidates on a weekly basis, and even though maybe it's a year or two old, those same issues are going to be yeah. relevant today. So so. Um, so, so that's quite interesting. You can go back to episode 147 and, and try to figure out why it's the most popular and still learn something that's useful for today. That That's quite good. Yeah. Quarter, quarter million listens, that sounds a really good number. 68% in the US. What's wrong with our sales team? We can't even get a sponsor, Graham. That, that's <laughs> like had, crazy. Well, we've had sponsors in the past. It kind of they come know. in. You know, there's a little bit of an ebb and flow to it. But yeah, that's a good I, point. I, I'm gonna. Yeah, I, I think I think you're, the article that you've just produced on 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 the debate between MBA Math and HBS Core, we should get one of those two organizations to sponsor. Yeah, that'd be a good. Idea. They would be really good um, um for, 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 for this program anyway yeah. um, that's and, by the by and i'm the, gonna the be other, oh go ahead sorry <laughs> yeah sorry the the final point that i wanted to make though is there's one statistic that i am most proud what do you think that is oh i know what it is it's that we've never missed a week since we started doing wiretaps we have never <laughs> missed a week yeah my family reminds me of that's, this. <laughs> I, I don't know what that says about us graham but we've never missed a week. Yeah, we're, uh, you know, I don't know, we're, we're dedicated, you know, driven. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, no, it's been, a, it's been a ton of fun so far. And I do agree, they are sort of timeless. You can go back and, and listen. And, and yeah, we've had a lot of people tuning in. And I'm going to be at the GMAC conference, which for our listeners, the, there's an annual conference every year for admissions officers. And, and ClearAdmit tends to uh, be present. I'm actually delivering a session at that conference this year. And I will ask around if anyone wants to sponsor the, the podcast. We'll see if we can <laughs> rustle somebody up. Um, but in any event, uh, speaking of, you know, just the, the wiretaps and all that stuff, I did want to mention we're still taking reviews on our website of ClearAdmit. Just what do you think of the ClearAdmit community? And you can go to bit.ly forward slash reviews, all one word, all lowercase, and just take a couple minutes and um, give us a rating, write a review, not just to the podcast, but of the whole kind of ClearAdmit uh, concept. So we're, we're really enjoying seeing those flow in and would love to get some more. So if you have a moment, uh, head on over to the site and do that. Alex, give us the, like, what's going on right now in the MBA admissions world. Oh, I thought you were going to ask me what our NPS score is. Oh, sorry. <laughs> That's yeah. what I like to talk about. Yeah, okay. You can, anyway. you can mention that if you want, our net promoter I, I won't, score. <laughs> I won't mention it. But obviously, getting the reviews in is really, really super helpful. Yes, yes. Um, and and soon enough, we'll we'll be publishing those, I presume, on our website and, yeah. and sort of make the process a little bit more sort of fluid and, 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 and in real time. But we do appreciate everybody's um, reviews. It does a couple of things. One is it does help us sort of as as we sort of, um, you know, transition from one season to the next so that newcomers coming in realise the potential of of participating in the community. But it also helps us identify which resources are really important so that we can prioritise them. And maybe it sort of helps us come up with some new ideas in terms of how we can best serve the applicant community targeting top tier MBA programs, which is basically our our mission. Uh, our mission. Yeah. So, 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 so we do appreciate that. But what's going on this week, Graham? Is Stanford and Booth will be releasing decisions this week, um, um, amongst a couple of other schools. I think Keenan Flagler and 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 McDonough are a, a couple of other schools releasing decisions. 
What we're also seeing, and again, we've talked about this on the last several podcasts, is more and more waitlist admit decisions rolling out. So this week, um, I I saw some from Yale um, and and several other programs, which isn't surprising because Yale was releasing round three decisions this last week. So I would expect to see some um, waitlist decision movement for, for potentially Stanford and Booth. And what we always see from that, Graham, is if, 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 if a program like Stanford goes to their wait list, that will have a knock-on effect through the M7, through the top 16, and so forth. So it'll be really interesting to see if Stanford is admitting folks from the wait list next week, Graham. Agreed. Yeah, this is, yeah, I saw those Yale um, decisions come down on round three and they released some people as well. So some people, you know, who'd been on the wait list were rejected. So there's movement happening still. I know I've been emailing with a lot of admissions officers and and seeing some of them in our weekly events. And I know that, you know, things aren't fully wrapped up yet. I mean, they're close, but there's still a little bit of movement happening as as schools try to firm up their, you know, incoming class. So we'll see how it unfolds. Uh, (laughs) But this is kind of, yeah, we're getting down to the wire here, I would say. I mean, you know, getting into kind of summer wait lists and, you know, we we always know it's, it's limited what happens after, say, July. Fair enough. So... In terms of stuff happening over on the website, we published a whole bunch of real humans, and I'm not going to delve into them because we actually ran four of them. I'll just mention that, you know, there's a Stern MBA who started his own company, which is very cool. I read his story. We've got a Kellogg MBA who now works at McKinsey, a USC Marshall grad who also is in consulting, but over at Boston Consulting Group, and then a Wharton MBA who's uh, working at Amazon. So if you're interested in any of those career paths or, or MBA programs, really interesting to read what advice those folks have about how they got on their career path, as well as how to get the most out of, you know, that your time in the MBA. Uh, we also, as you alluded to earlier, ran a transcript repair piece. Um, so anyone that's looking to either get ready for business school by kind of brushing up on their quantitative skills or who needs to kind of address a lack of quantitative evidence in their GMAT or GRE or on their transcript, or even just kind of a lower GPA, uh, we ran a story that kind of compares the options in the marketplace for you, whether it's HBS Core online, which is a class people take, or MBA Math, or even just um, extension school offerings from universities like Berkeley or UCLA, where you could take stats or accounting and just you know get an A ideally and bolster your transcript and demonstrate to the admissions reader that you're ready for business school. So it was an article that was kind of a long time in the works. And I want to just give some credit to Lauren on our team, who's our editor in chief, and she did a great job producing that piece. And it's it's out. So definitely give that a read if you want to get ready for school or need to kind of do some repair on your transcript. What did you learn from that article, Graham? Well, honestly, the main thing I learned is that HPS Core is uh, a kind of a longer program not as self-directed as MBA math um, and also comes with a bigger price tag. I guess that wasn't such a surprise that it would cost more. I mean, it's got the Harvard name and, and it is a longer program. But just seeing the stuff, like we literally, there's some charts in the article that compare like a number of hours needed, uh, how the courses are structured, what you learn, what they cost, et cetera. So very interesting. And, and I, you know, the outside courses, like just going to a university and taking a one-off course online, those kind of fall in between the price point of, say, an MBA math versus the HBS core online. So, 
yeah, that was just fascinating to like get into the details on these numbers. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that HBS call, to me, it really looks like a, a pretty substantial program and probably has value in of itself, yeah. um, even if you're not pursuing an MBA, rather than I do see the MBA math as being your on-ramp to hit the ground running for that first quarter. Um, in the MBA program. Um, but yeah, some really good sort of insight um, from the article, as well as some quotes from some ad com in terms yes. of their value of these types of programs. So that that too is very good. And we do oftentimes when we review candidates on wiretaps, we make that recommendation to sue some kind of, whether it's transcript repair or preparation, because there's very little quant in the background. And this piece I'm very, very excited that it that it's out there because I think it's going to be a really valuable um, piece of content for people to to sort of make those um, choices. Yeah, agreed. So the only other thing I want to mention before we have like two two things, and then we'll get into our candidates for this week, which I'm very excited about because you picked out some real amazing <laughs> candidates with some pretty um, challenging dilemmas and stuff. So, uh, but housekeeping stuff, we've got one more event this week. So this Wednesday at noon, I'm going to sit down with a small group. Uh, this time it's just three schools. Uh, it's going to be London Business School, Stanford GSB, and UCLA Anderson. So we're going to sit down on Wednesday at noon. I'm going to moderate a session around their application process, just as we've been doing you know, over the last few weeks. Last week was a total, I mean, it was a really great event last week with Columbia, Dartmouth, Chicago, and Darden. I had a, a really good time talking with the admissions representatives, and we had admissions directors, so it, it's always good to get the sort of senior level folks into these uh, virtual events. So anyway, uh, this week, one more event. You can still sign up. You just go to tinyurl.com forward slash events, all lowercase, all one word. So sign up now if you want to join us Wednesday. And then Alex, I think you saw this. I shared it with you. We got an email from um, a guy who, well, we'll just call him M because I don't think he wants his name necessarily on air. But M writes, Graham and Alex, I wanted to reach out to thank you for your sage advice on the Clear Admit podcast. You reviewed my profile in episode 167. Uh, he says he's candidate was candidate number one, an older kind of reapplicant. And he says, I know very few people who've gone to top MBAs and your advice over all of the podcasts really helped me to analyze my candidacy from a fresh perspective and to understand what elements the outcome is looking for. You gave me much needed confidence after a rough round three back in 2021. Clearly I was naive by applying so late. Uh, I took your advice and added Wharton to my application list as a reapplicant for 2022. And I applied to Stanford, Harvard, uh, Sloan, Haas, and Anderson as well. And he says, I ended up getting admitted to Harvard, Wharton, and Haas, and Anderson, those last two with money, and I was waitlisted at Stanford and Sloan. I'll be matriculating at Harvard in the fall. And he just says, you know, he goes on to say, it's great to have a resource that is tru truly altruistic and focused on helping applicants. Thanks for all of your help, M. So that was just a lot of fun to read. I'm sure you enjoyed seeing that too. <laughs> No, it's uh, very good. So reading between the lines, we cost him money, Graham, because it ended up we encouraged him to apply to war and he didn't even go after getting admitted. Oh, but... so, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely fantastic. No, it's absolutely brilliant. And that that's, I mean, whether it's altruism or not, I mean, obviously, we, 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 I'm getting paid by clear admit, so it's not really altruistic. But what, one thing I really enjoy about this role at Clear Admit is, is sort of demystifying the admissions process. We worked in, in admissions for 20, 30 years. Yeah. 
Um, so, so we know this stuff and, and, and candidates are coming in on a seasonal basis to a new environment. Um, and if you are a non-traditional candidate, this is exacerbated sort of almost on steroids, right? I mean, in terms of your big lack of familiarity. Yeah. So in essence, we can bridge that gap. It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and the only other thing I wanted to mention, um, I just you just reminded me of it, is that as I've been talking with schools, for candidates who are going to be applying this coming cycle, essays and deadlines are forthcoming across the board. And, you know, we already heard last week from Wharton that they may you know, it doesn't sound like they're going to change their essay questions for this year. I heard uh, a couple of days ago from from Tuck and and Columbia. They're all these. They're all looking at their essay questions and and expect to have stuff out by late May or early June. And what's cool is even if their online applications don't open up until July or later in the summer, the essay topics and things are usually posted before then. And you know, uh, Amy over at Tuck said she's going to post them to their blog as soon as they're ready. So stay tuned if you're actively you know, beginning the process, you're going to get news very soon. And we will continue to break down the essay questions on our website. We always do essay topic analyses for every school. So you'll get some advice from us too, if you stay tuned. But Alex, anything else you want to cover before we get into these candidates that you've selected for this week? This show's already running long. I so know. Let's kick I know. Off. All right. So this is Wiretap's <laughs> candidate number one. So this is an ApplyWire entry that we received from a candidate who wants to start business school in the fall of 23. So they're going to be applying this summer and, and you know, in, into the fall. Uh, they've got Columbia, Imperial, London Business School, Oxford, and Stanford on their target list. In their pre-MBA career, they've been working as an environmental specialist uh, and in the kind of management consulting domain. Uh, they have some goals that are related, but not exactly. So they, um, they they chose the other box on our website for their goals, which we'll get into. Their GPA from undergraduate was a 3.5. They've got six years of work experience. This candidate is located in London, and they have no preference geogra- geographically for post-MBA placement. They have a uh, bachelor's in environmental science, as well as a master's in engineering hydrology and both of those degrees were earned at uh, Russell Group schools in the UK and the Russell Group for those of you who don't know is kind of like well you could probably argue it the other way around the Ivy League in America is similar to the Russell Group um, in the UK so it's a group of all the sort of most prestigious universities research institutions in the UK so they went to good schools uh, they have, they gave us a lot of data, and I know you had a lot of back and forth with them, Alex. This candidate has not yet taken the test. They're hoping to score. They took a practice test and scored a 320 on the GRE, so they're you know hoping to get north of that. Um, I want to let you kind of talk about this candidate a bit because there's more to her. You know, she's a, a female, 28, uh, first generation African immigrant in the UK, and yeah, there's there's a little bit more to it, and you can maybe speak to her goals and stuff as well. Yeah, I mean, this is a really, really interesting profile. Um, you just mentioned at the end the, the sort of the, the demographic data, female African immigrant, first gen to college. These are all big check marks in terms of, um, you know, adding diversity and diverse sort of um, conversations to the classroom. And we talked, uh, you know, on a number of occasions why diversity is important. It's not just checking the box, but what is the value you're going to bring to the classroom and the conversations that are going to be somewhat different to the sort of the, the general population? So, so I, I think this profile will be quite well sought after. 
um, quite honestly, Graham. I love um, her passion for, for climate change and for water, and she seems to have really sort of um, gone deep into these issues and, and recognised now the importance of getting a really sort of high-profile MBA um, to, in order to sort of really hone those sort of financial skills and various other elements to sort of continue on her, her, her career path um, that, that she's sort of um, um, f- focused upon. Obviously, climate change is, is a huge um, topic of interest. Um, we, as, as top-tier MBA programs, we really need to, um, to, to develop leaders that are, are, are going to consciously, deliberately going to affect change in this regard. So she, she fits that. That's absolutely fantastic. Um, so all of this to say, Graham, there's a really lot to like. What I would really encourage this candidate is to go all in on that GRE preparation. Um, I I think she said that she'd um, taken the GRE as a prep and got a 320, which is not a bad score. But as she should be targeting the very best programs in the world, um, the higher that score, the better her opportunity is going to be. Because it could turn out to be that the GRE becomes the weakest element of what is an outstanding profile altogether. So the more you raise the bar of the weakest element, the, the greater your, your overall opportunity. Yeah. So I love all this stuff, Graham. I'm going to just be very frank. I'm going to throw it back to you, though. She was a little bit concerned in terms of how to go about school selection, yes. especially up the U.S. schools. Which are the best U.S. schools to match with her um, goal, um, goal profile. Yeah, it was interesting. She sort of seemed to be suggesting that it was easier for her to identify schools in Europe that were very focused on this area, which is called ESG. I had to look this up, um, and I, I may, I'm kind of embarrassed because I didn't. I'm you know just not always in touch with all the latest acronyms, but um, it stands for environmental, social, and governance. And she's looking for MBA programs that were focused in this domain. And it just so happens that the New York Times wrote an article about this apps like this very subject in late. Uh, towards just the very end of last year. And they highlighted what are US MBA programs doing given that there is demand in the applicant pool to learn this stuff. Like how do you be, you know, how can you be an effective manager, uh, strategist in, you know, in the business world while maintaining, you know, these uh, concerns around the environment and governance and things. So there's a, it's a really fascinating article. I did share it on the website uh, on this post so that she could, so that she would see it. And, you know, obviously Stanford comes up, but there are other schools, Wharton, Berkeley. And so I, I think if she were to read that article, that might be put her on the path to sort of finding a handful of schools. You know, that, that's the main thing is I just want to make sure she has the right sort of school selection. She says she's geographically um, agnostic, so she doesn't really care where she lands. But, you know, to me, I, I would definitely do some digging into the U.S. programs. I think, you know, she's going to get into the likes of, she's got Imperial and Oxford on her list. She'll probably get into those programs relatively easy. I don't know if, if money's an issue and she wants to, you know, maybe get some scholarship dollars too. But so applying to a range of schools is smart. But I think she does need to do a little more due diligence on the U.S. market just to see what which programs could be best suited for her. Yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree. And I think scholarship money is, is an issue. I mean, again, she's first-generation candidate. Yeah. We love first-generation candidates. I don't think there's any doubt um, that they show 
that they sort of, you know, you, you know, without that mentorship and, and so on and so forth, um, they've sort of, you know, they're strivers, bootstrappers, all, all these good acronyms. Actually, I think all three candidates today fit into this bracket, yes, which right. is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, very, very um, good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so scholarship money may well come into play. But I read a stat the other day, Graham. Harvard Business School's average um, award for this year was about eighty thousand. Yeah, no, they're you know the, both so yeah, Harvard and Stanford. Even the very top schools, there is going to be scholarship money. Yes. Um, so 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 yeah, very. Yeah, good. and worth noting for people just beginning this process, Harvard and Stanford are the only two U.S. schools that do need-based aid instead of award-based. Yeah. So very different than the other schools. So you just tell them what your financial situation is, and then they give you. Um, what, what they think you're going to need to get through. So it's very different uh, in any event. Yeah, let's. I, I want to thank her for posting. She did say in one of her comments that she says, I love the podcast. I've been listening religiously since I decided to embark on this journey. So there you go. Um, but thanks for, for posting and for all the great dialogue on the back and forth on the site with her. Uh, but let's move on and talk about Wiretaps candidate number two. So this is another apply wire entry that we received. The, the difference here is that this candidate does not want to start potentially until 2025. So they're kind of really thinking long term. They've got Columbia, Harvard, MIT, Kellogg, and Wharton on their initial target list here. They are currently, they have this offer, and we'll get into the details, but they currently have this offer to work at, in consulting, sustainability consulting at a big four firm. They're based in France. And after business school, they'd love to get into like private equity or nonprofit social impact, or ideally the intersection of those two. So like impact investing and that sort of stuff. And they mentioned Bain Capital, TPG, KKR, um, you know, impact funds. They have a whole whole bunch of um, items listed that they could do in terms of target firms. And I think the role is kind of like a sustainability officer or something. Um, they uh, have a GMAT score of 710 and a GPA of 3.62. Now, the rub on this candidate, or the kind of interesting piece and the reason why they posted is that they are um, faced with a dilemma. They currently have an offer to go immediately and get a master's in management at a school in France um, known as ESSEC. Um, it's, a, it's an acronym, I can't remember what it stands for, but it's E-S-S-E-C. Um, and so they, they have this offer to go to ESSEC and do a master's in management. And they're debating, like, do I go and do that? Or do I take this offer to work in big four, work for a few years, and then apply to sort of, you know, traditional sort of full-time MBA programs? And so that's the big dilemma. And I should add, this candidate is Moroccan, born and raised there for 18 years, but then came to France for their studies and has stayed, it sounds um, like, since. And they, they have an engineering degree, um, I guess, master, I'm sorry, master's degree in financial engineering from a top 20 engineering school in France. So in any event, they also, I guess they have a master's in econ too, it says here. So Alex, there, there's a lot going on here, but there's this big dilemma of like, what's better, master's in management or waiting and doing the MBA? And the only reason that they, I think, are really struggling a little bit is that everyone they know here in France is saying to them, oh, go get the master's in management. You know, ESSEC is a really prestigious school in France. Why would you, why would you do anything else? So that's sort of the nuts and bolts of it. What do you, what do you make of this candidacy? What, what's what's the, the, the saying, a bird in hand or a bird in the bush or something? I forget what that that saying is but it's like obviously they've got an offer now to do something and it's quite a compelling offer but their their dilemma is whether to to you know 
not take up that offer in the hopes that they get another offer in three or four years' time um, that's a complete unknown or, or uncertain at this point, mm-hmm. right? So the fact that this offer is in the shorter term, you know, in terms of psychology, there's more sort of terms that you can use that it seems more compelling and more natural to do that versus waiting three or four years for something, again, that's more uncertain. That all said, and, and there's, got a, there's a risk tolerance issue to this too, right? Um, you, you, you go do something that's more certain, that's quite well regarded amongst your peer group um, and so forth to, versus, again, waiting um, and taking the risk of doing something that might not actually be uh, available to you in, in the longer run. So, <laughs> yeah. so I get all that. Obviously, we're, we're going to be a bit biased in our point, point of view because we're all about the value of the top-tier MBA program. Um, so, so we have to recognize our, our biased sort of perspective here. Sure. Um, but we, I think, and we talked about this before we came on air, Graham, we would encourage this um, candidate to go and get some work experience post all these degrees they've already collected. Yeah and work for three or four years, continue to show impact and growth and, and whatever it is. And this profile will look very attractive to top-tier MBA programs in the US. Now, we obviously can't guarantee that they're going to gain admissions, Graham, but you know, as, as an immigrant coming into France at 18, again, as first gen, all that kind of stuff, and it looks like their, their career goals, that sort of sustainability and so on and so forth is very sort of hot right now. It's very important <laughs> and, yeah. and, and so on and so forth. There's just, there's a lot to like. Um, and if this person spends the next three years in a deliberate effort to improve their profile, um, to be attractive to the very best schools around the world. I think they have the ingredients in order to do that, Graham. I could not agree more. And I know we're biased. I mean, this show is about, you know, MBA programs, not master's in management programs, but I can't help but think they've already done an undergraduate financial engineering degree. They've done a master's in, I think it was econ, right? So like why go right away and do another degree without working, right? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I know ESSEC is well-known in France, but I can tell you right now, it's not well-known outside of France, um, unless we're talking about, you know, former French colonies or something. Like it's not, it's not a big name outside of France, right? So that's a problem, right? And if they want to be, if they want to have an international career, that could be problematic. So I, I, my advice would be, and by the way, the expression is a bird in hand is worth two in the bush um, with, the, yeah, with the idea that, you know, <laughs> oh, if you you've already have a bird in hand, that's better than the two you could potentially shoot as they fly out of the, you know, the tree or whatever. Right. So I, I think, but in this case, I would argue that this candidate, like you say, they have all the ingredients to be successful at the likes of Harvard or Wharton or any, you know, London Business School, INSEAD, all these top programs, because they've got, you know, they're, they're, they're schooled in France, they did reasonably well, they've got a couple of degrees already, clearly have some quantitative chops, uh, Moroccan, but also, you know, now living in France. So they, they tick a lot of boxes, and I think would be a real asset and a great addition to the class at, you know, at any of these programs. So I would advise work at least two years. Also, that, you know, it's not like, it would be one thing if they said, look, I have this offer to go get a, a master's in management, or I could try to find a job. They don't even have to find a job. They already have an offer to work at big at a big four in sustainability. So it's you know that's a good job. Like I, I feel like they should be able to make the most of that. 
do it for a couple of years, apply to school and yeah, go get a top MBA and have an international experience ideally. And I just think it'll really be game changing for this candidate. So I would encourage them to ignore the locals saying, oh, go to, you know, it, it's like, the, I mean, yeah, the, <laughs> this happens all the time. Sometimes family members or friends don't see the nuances of, you know, they, they don't know what the global stage is for all these different uh, offerings and things. So I would say, wait, that's my advice. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. They did say that they may retake the GMAT too. So that 710 is already already pretty good. But if, if, if they came back with a 730 or a 740, oh, then they're you know, retaking yeah. it over, over the next several, I mean, <laughs> they're going to be a really, um, um, you know, good good profile. Now, there's no guarantees. And obviously, execution on the apps is, is really, really important. But yeah. But yeah, our advice, absolutely. You've got a lot of degrees. Go get that full-time work experience really grow through that work experience yeah. and then come back three or four years or two or three years or whatever right. it is and target the very best business schools in the world. Yeah. Now, I know you said no guarantees, but I did write him and gave him your address in case he doesn't get in so he can come and, yeah. <laughs> and hang out with you. Uh, all right. So let's let's move on and and because uh, we're, we're running a little long today, but let, let's move on because we have one more candidate that I'd love to kind of break down here. So this is Wiretaps candidate number three. So this is a, an ApplyWire entry, and it's unique in that the person has one school on their target list, and that school is Harvard Business School. They would like to start there uh, next fall, so they're going to apply this summer and hope to start in the fall of 23. They have two years of experience at a social think tank where, um, I, I guess, where they um, did data ana analysis, and then since then they've done one year at an ed tech company doing product and marketing data analysis, and now one year at a big streaming company where they're also doing data analysis. So four years total of work experience. They indicate that they've had a big kind of impact at each organization, especially the current company, which is a known brand name or something. I guess it's a, a company we may know. They've been promoted once when they were at their first company. Then they kind of transitioned into that second and, and had a bit of a bump up with the current company when they moved again. So. Uh, they hope to be promoted again uh, in September or October of this year, so they're kind of waiting on that. The GPA uh, from undergrad was a 3.69. They studied psychology at a liberal arts, top liberal arts college. They uh, are from the, I guess they're on the East Coast, would love to stay there. And there's some kind of demographic information that they shared, which is that this candidate is an immigrant uh, in the US. They are black, Latina, female, first generation and from a low income background. So um, I've had to really, you know, kind of fight their way, it sounds like, to, to get where they are, um, which is super impressive. And, you know, they've had a lot of impact at work. They indicate that they only want to apply to Harvard because they say that they really would only go to Harvard or Stanford, and but they want to stay on the East Coast, so that pulls Stanford out. You know, this is, and this is the question, they kind of want a reality check from us. They haven't taken a test yet and they're worried that the test might end up being their weakest point because they're not a great standardized test taker. Um, that's what they, I think, what, what she said somewhere in here. Uh, but Alex, you had a little bit of back and forth with this candidate. So what do you make of this kind of a HBS or bust, you know, sort of strategy? And yeah, break it down for us. <laughs> yeah, again, before we get into that piece of it, I mean, what, what a great candidate in terms of first gen, um, you know, immigrant, um, Latina, and so on and so forth. All of these three candidates are, again, fit into that sort of bootstrap or striver coming from um, lesser means and really all, all three 
apparently doing extremely well given their circumstance. Um, yeah. So, so that's got to be applauded across all three of these candidates. Um, so I just wanted to make sure that that is clear. Adcom really admires that sort of first gen to where you are now and looks at how far you've come rather than only looking at where you at, are at now relative to your peers applying to top programs. They do look at that trajectory, um, which is super impressive. Um, so, so kudos for that. They obviously did well in undergrad. They got a 369. They're concerned about this um, test score. Um, so that's going to be a little bit of a challenge. Obviously, you know, what are we now? We're in May. Um, they're applying next season. They don't necessarily have to apply first round given their profile. They're not going to be overrepresented by a long stretch. So they have until sort of January if they target the second round um, to, to sort of really optimize their, their, their test score. But they, they want to sort of make sure that they give themselves enough time to retake the test. Um, not that it's only the test score that gets them admitted, but much like one of the, the, the first candidate um, may, maybe we talked about, it's likely the test score is going to be the weakest component of this candidate's profile, so therefore it's going to have some impact, right? Um, yeah. so, so, so really trying to shore up that weakest component to the extent that they can will be very good. Um, so... Clearly, they, their, their work looks impressive. They've, they've done very well. You mentioned before we came on air, three jobs in, in a shorter period of time. So, so they've just got to make sure that the whys between transitioning from one to the next to the next are well understood and communicated. Um, the, 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 I know that the one piece that we wanted to talk about a little bit more is this HBS or BUST. Right. Um, 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 sort of idea we don't like it and <laughs> there are a couple of reasons why we don't like it one is it's very risky there's more than one great MBA program and if you're putting all your eggs into one basket and you get denied at HBS then you're foregoing the opportunity for the MBA um, completely with this strategy and secondly quite frankly we think there might be even a couple of better programs for this person's um, 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 you know goals and, and and their particular profile right so I mean the likes of Wharton and Sloan fit into that category um, on the whole yes HBS is in the higher tier but for what she's particularly looking for she might be as well served at least with a program like Wharton or Sloan Gren. Yeah, and actually just to be very clear on this um, she indicates that you know I have a very strong background in data and precedence on making data-driven, actionable recommendations. And I want to be on the other side and drive decision-making and long-term strategy. Uh, I want to remain in data, but want to become an executive and be influential in the field. And so that's when I started to think, wow, you know, obviously MIT Sloan and, and Wharton are quite renowned in this, in this field of kind of data analytics and in, in producing managers and CEOs who have that kind of quantitative skill set. So it just was an interesting thing. And, you know, obviously we always say don't ever apply to just one school unless you're willing to wait another year and apply again someday or, or whatever. But it's it just there's always a bit of a roll of the dice. But I would argue in this scenario, like you're saying, she could probably benefit from one of these other programs. And, you know, I think she mentions like, oh, well, you know, part of the reason I'm only applying to Harvard or, or Stanford if, if she had been willing to go on the West Coast is because of networking opportunities and prestige. And I think, you know, frankly... 
you know, the Wharton network's really gigantic. It's, I think it's similar in size to the Harvard network and certainly very international. Stanford has a slightly smaller network because they're a smaller, much smaller program. But in any event, I, I think some of these kind of arguments don't hold as much weight, uh, even though I recognize the appeal of saying I'm going to Harvard, like it has this um, <laughs> certain yeah. mystique. But I think if we're just talking about like, is going to business school, having a great experience, getting the skills needed to really excel in her career, then she could do that out of MIT Sloan, Harvard or Wharton and, and, and probably a handful of other schools too. But so I would encourage her to spread the risk because what if someone were to say, wow, you can go to Wharton for free. Or Harvard, you know, they're going to give you maybe half tuition or something or, you know, so just something something to think about because scholarship, you know, may pay, play a role at some point. And then the other piece for me with this candidate that I was a little concerned about is right now I'm guessing that the undergraduate transcript doesn't have a ton of quantitative evidence if it's a psych major that, you know, she said she did a psychology major, liberal arts. And so while her work experience is arguably totally quantitative, if if we don't have any data points and if the test, if she takes the GMAT or the GRE and, and it doesn't, you know, she indicates she's a little worried about that. And if it doesn't go well on the quantitative side, then we're left with this scenario of it kind of raises an eyebrow. It's sort of like, okay, well, you're working with data, but how much of that is, you know, kind of just following along what people are doing versus having the raw kind of, you know, quant skills. So it just, this is the stuff that goes through your mind as an admissions officer. When you, it's like when you see someone working in banking who had bad grades in finance and then kind of flubs the GMAT quant section, you kind of say, wait, what's going on here? Something doesn't add up. So I would, yeah, I would encourage her to spend some time on the test yeah. and get as you know good of a score as, as she can. I think she will walk into any number of top schools. I would just be very um, worried if she's only applying to one. <laughs> yeah, uh, just a couple of quick points of clarification. She did do a master's in data analysis and visualization, so there might be some additional quant. Um, That's right. Um, I forgot about that. Work, work, yeah. work there, but also, um, secondly, I mean. You know, you talk about Wharton, and you know Wharton's got a huge faculty. Sloan's got a very good faculty too. But you know, I I don't do work with, but I follow very closely. For example, Peter Fader at Wharton. Um, there's an example: a marketing faculty who is completely innovating how we look at customer lifetime value from a from a from a data um, standpoint. Right. I mean, if you're you're able to get into the classroom with Peter Fader. Um, what a fantastic opportunity that is. And even from a networking standpoint, what a fantastic opportunity that is. Yeah. And I just want to add, yeah, I totally forgot that there is a master's, but we don't know how, the, what the grades were. So I would love to know, like, what was the GPA in that master's? Presumably it was at a decent institution, but it would just be good to know, does it, you know, is it as strong as the undergraduate GPA? Is it, a, is it like a four O and it's all quantitative? Then, then suddenly the test becomes less important to me. So it'd be good to have that information if she's willing yeah. to, to share it. But in any event, three amazing candidates this week who I think are all going to end up in, you know, terrific <laughs> MBA programs that each have their own little, you know, kind of challenges to address, whether it's a test or school selection uh, or whether to do a master's in management or not. So very cool stuff. Alex, always appreciate you taking the time to figure out who we should talk about <laughs> on the show. Uh, and yeah, cheers to 150 episodes of Wiretaps. No, fantastic. Great job, everyone. Stay safe. Take care.